Welcome to the Lifeline Podcast, brought to you by the Code Enforcement Officer Safety Foundation. Whether you are a code enforcement officer, building inspector, or any other type of inspector, this officer safety podcast is for you. Our hosts and guests will discuss officer safety, training, equipment, and the foundation. Now, here is your host, Justin Edson. Hello and welcome to the Lifeline Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Edson, and we have Matthew Silver with us today to discuss SB 296 and this historic bill for the profession. First, we want to thank our sponsor, the International Code Council. We actually had Matt on a prior episode to discuss legislation, and we wanted to welcome Matt back. So welcome, Matt. Thanks, Justin. Good to be back. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and your involvement with Casio? Sure. Happy to do so. I am a code enforcement attorney. In other words, I'm an attorney serving code enforcement departments around the state of California, uh, specializing in code enforcement and all those related issues like land use and housing issues and building issues and all the typical code enforcement stuff. Uh, I also am a certified code enforcement officer uh, under QCO and state law. So by my count, uh, I might be pretty unique in that regard, if not the only one who's actually a practicing attorney and also a certified code officer. I've been with KCO for about uh, a decade plus, uh, serving in a volunteer capacity. I, I volunteer with them, as do all the other board members, and I've been its legislative director for a number of years, maybe five or six. Great. Uh, and if you could tell us a little bit about SB 296 and what is in the text so we can understand it a little bit better. I believe you, as well as I, uh, have heard from some agencies that they, they heard the great news from last week, and they're kind of curious on what's, what's ahead, what's next. So if you can kind of share a little bit about the text and maybe what agencies need to be prepared for. Yeah, SP 296 is Senate Bill 296, I should say, is really a groundbreaking bill. It builds off of a law that PCO was fortunate enough to get put into effect a couple of years ago, Assembly Bill 2228, which for the first time required specific training standards for code enforcement officers to become certified, uh, and KCO is the governing body for that. Um, so these are two really groundbreaking laws when you put them together. SB 296, the one that the governor just signed into law, uh, goes into effect January 1st of 2022. And it's not a lot of words, but it has a big impact. What it requires is that every city and every county that employs a code enforcement officer in the state of California must identify the safety and health hazards that are specific to their code enforcement officers in their jurisdiction and accordingly develop safety standards to deal with those risks. So it really is a two-parter. And by my count, it's the first one of its kind in the country, certainly in the state of California, where uh, it requires threat assessment for code officers who face a, a myriad safety and health threats, uh, and then also requires the agency to then come up with standards that are specific for those dangers. So you touched on when it goes into effect, which is January of this coming year. And do they have any um, requirements on what broadly they need to enact or get started working on uh, to meet this deadline and work with their code enforcement staff? You know, the approach with this, Justin, was not a one-size-fits-all. That's why the bill is one sentence long and doesn't uh, 
specify mandates in terms of the safety standards. You know, California is a huge state. We have a couple hundred cities. We have over 50 counties. And the issues that code enforcement officers face in the different parts of the state are different. A code enforcement officer in a rural part of the state will deal with different issues by and large than a code officer in an urban part of the state. A code officer in uh, an affluent city versus a struggling city or an impoverished city may deal with different issues and different threats. And of course, they may deal with just different code enforcement problems in different parts of the state as well. So we felt that it was most appropriate to vest that determination in each city and county because they know what the issues are that code officers are dealing with. But we did want there to be a requirement. They have to have a standard and it has to reflect the, the safety and health hazards that code enforcement officers are facing. You know, one of the needs for this, Justin, was we were hearing from our code officers around the state that there either were no safety standards in place for them at all. And I'm sure you've heard that too. And secondly, uh, that even if there were, they were just general safety standards that might have applied equally to a permit tech who works strictly behind a counter and never comes out into the field uh, or a building inspector who deals with different kinds of issues and different kinds of inspections as a code officer. And so we needed issue, we needed to find a solution specific to the unique role that code officers play and serve in around the state. And we needed the cities to take a deep dive into themselves and their jurisdiction and figure out what are the hazards, what are the threats, and then apply standards specific for code folks. That really is the uniqueness of this bill. It doesn't just say you've got to have safety standards that happen to apply to code officers, right? You have to figure out what is the problem, what are the threats and the hazards they could face and do face, and then come up with safety standards specific to meet them for code enforcement officers. Yeah, those are great points. And I, I was curious, what do you think are, are some examples of items that relate to officer safety? I know when we use that term, some automatically go straight to some type of equipment right. um, or other things like that. There's a lot of different layers uh, to make uh an officer safe in the field and the job that they do. So if you don't mind sharing maybe some thoughts on the different uh, layers of officer safety that an agency can look at. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point, Justin. I do think the mind goes quickly to the physical, uh, I guess, violent encounter, uh, we might call it hazards. However, code enforcement officers face an array of health hazards doing their job. For example, by definition, code enforcement officers deal with substandard housing. Substandard housing is substandard for a lot of reasons, but oftentimes that could be because of mold issues, uh, that could be because of um, uh, lead issues or asbestos issues, bedbug issues, rodent infestations, all these things, study after study after study has shown, spread disease and spread illnesses. And so code enforcement officers need some kind of minimum safety standards for what do they do when they're going into these substandard places. I've I've been in, in uh, inspections where code officers are going to places where the walls are literally covered with mold. I can think of one off the top of my head where I thought the walls were painted black, but it turns out it was black mold. And that's just repugnant and incredibly unhealthy for the poor occupants living in there. The code enforcement officers who have to do this stuff on a daily basis need to make sure that there's the, the right equipment to deal with those. So I think that's one kind of issue, of course, there are the, the physical danger issues in society and the times that we're living in, uh, the people we deal with, uh, sometimes, oftentimes, are very cooperative and willing to come into compliance. 
but sometimes they have strong anti-government sentiments and have a complete and total misunderstanding of American democracy and our laws and think they can just take violent action into their own hands. And of course, there are very significant um, criminal consequences for those people who do that. But code officers need to be trained what to do in those circumstances. Code officers, of course, are also in California in particular, dealing a lot more with illegal cannabis grows. These can often involve a significant safety hazard from both a health and a physical safety perspective. There's been a lot of police officers who unfortunately have been under attack, shot, uh, dealing with these issues out there, ambushed. Code officers are being asked to deal with these issues. Well, then accordingly, they need to be adequately protected. Now, I want to be clear. One thing we did not have in mind with this law, although the law specifically does not address it, is arming police, code enforcement officers with guns. That was that was not the intent here. Peace officers in California carry guns. Code enforcement officers have an array of, you know, Second Amendment rights that as citizens that they are subject to. We were not intending to wade into those waters for very good reason. But the intent here was not to turn code enforcement officers by default into police officers or peace officers. That was not the intent here. Yeah, and then also to add, uh, besides the PPE that you brought up, which I think is very important, even with the staff that I've had, you know, looking at body suits and uh, masks and different things that we deal with and we walk into properties, but also just even on the uh, written side with uh, policies and procedures, how do we conduct ourselves and uh, what procedures do we follow to make sure that we're being as safe as possible. And I know back in April when we did our our national officer safety discussion with different supervisors uh, from different cities, one of the things that uh, one of the supervisors brought up was their great relationship with the police department that they can reach out to them and ask for property history checks and kind of do a little bit more digging before they actually physically go to the property. So there's a lot of different angles uh, under the officer safety. You know, we talk PPE, uh, equipment, policies, procedures, uh, property history checks. So there's a wide array of those. Right. Absolutely. I think that's uh, I think there's really kind of three main buckets, we could call it, that you put or we could into which we can categorize code enforcement officer safety standards. You know, there's the health hazards, the physical uh, hazards, physical safety hazards, and then also in terms of just protocols, you know, executing an inspection warrant. That should always be done, in my humble opinion, with actual police officers to keep the peace, and the law allows them there for the purpose of keeping the peace. But that should be a uniform protocol that agencies look into. You know, what about a, uh, a registry or information sharing between the police and code enforcement about known dangerous properties? The police track those in terms of known occupants who are dangerous, and that information should be shared with code enforcement. So when they go to a property, they go knowing what they're facing, what the risks are, can come up with a with a risk plan to deal with that and, and maybe go out with the police officers to do that. But those are just a couple examples on top of, of course, are they issued a cell phone? Do they have a radio issued if there's a certain uh, arrival time or delay for police officers? So there's an array of those things. Some agencies have already touched on that, but we do need a uniform approach across the state. I totally agree. 
And this is the first uh, in the country for our profession, uh, this bill of this right. nature. And so it's, it's very historic. I, I have to give uh, hands down appreciation to Casio and uh, your work as well with the legislative team. Uh, this was a, a big effort over the last couple months, almost a year, uh, to get this across the governor's desk. So this is not just a big deal for those in California, but across the nation, it's something to look at. Uh, as a template, as a model of what kind of legislation could be done um, across the board. So I wanted to ask you, could you, could other state associations reach out to you or KCO to discuss how to push a similar bill? And I, I know that some states don't have lobbyists or they might not even have a committee assembled. Uh, and we briefly discussed that in our last podcast, but um, I'm just curious, you know, what your thoughts are on information sharing and, and helping uh, other states. Always happy to share information. Absolutely. We are all in it together. Every single code enforcement officer, anybody who does code enforcement work across this country. This profession is the same across the country. There's some different facets to it, but by and large, it's the same. And it draws the same kind of humble, hidden heroes to it. So absolutely, please do. My email address is msilver, like the color, at KCO, C-A-C-E-O, us m silver at kco.us feel free to reach out to me you can of course also go online and if you type in sb 296 california you'll come up with the language and of course the kco.us website has a legislative tab under which you can get more information about this while we're tipping hats though justin i should tip uh, our hat to senator monique lamone out of uh, california uh, ventura county area who who authored this bill she really helped ensure, along with her wonderful staff, that it got through. And it was not an easy road. Being the first uh, of its kind in the country, uh, there was, you know, there were challenges for sure. Getting stuck in the Appropriations Committee in both uh, chambers of our legislature was almost like that movie Groundhog Day. Uh, but thankfully, like that movie, not, not to have a spoiler alert, it was a happy ending. So we were lucky to get through that, uh, but it was certainly not without its challenges. And Senator Lamone and um, some of our other legislative legislative members, uh, members from the governor's office, and of course my legislative committee, really put a huge amount of hours. And it does bear repeating: this is all volunteer time. We all have a life we like to think outside of this and day jobs. So I guess the point is, is that every every code enforcement association in the country can do what we did. There's no reason you can't do it. Lobbyists or not, we do have lobbyists. We're very blessed with that in KCO, but you can do it and you have to try. The fact of the matter is no one's going to take this torch for you. You have to do it yourself. And the only way to even have a chance at it is to try. Otherwise, it'll never happen. So true. And that's a great point. And I think uh, it's it's important to always understand that teamwork with not just us in different associations and and the team members that we have, but working with a senator or some type of elected official that we can uh, work with and get this across the, the finish line. Like you said, there's going to be challenges, um, but having that support and that teamwork uh, helps get it across the, the finish line. So uh, again, that was a great point. And I was curious, you know, you talked about the bill from a few years ago, um, AB 2228 and now SB 296 uh, got through the office. So I'm curious, what do you see in the future? Casio's a trailblazer in this effort with legislation. Uh, what's your thoughts on the future? Uh, what are your hopes and desires as we move forward? 
you know, our, our thoughts for the future are to continue to have a robust legislative platform. There's a lot to do. Uh, and of course, when code enforcement is improved, really what we're doing is improving our communities because that's what we do, right? So we need to continue to uh, sharpen the tools, make them more effective, more efficient, more fair that code enforcement utilizes to protect communities and improve them. We also need to make sure, as I always say on my LinkedIn page, protect the protectors. We got to make sure we're protecting the people who are doing it because without that, they won't do it or they won't be around to do it or you can't attract people to, to the profession, right? So that's important. So towards that end, we've got a couple of legislative priorities that I'll share with you. Uh, one is in California to get money appropriated to the existing code enforcement officer, I'm sorry, code enforcement incentive program, grant fund. That's already codified in state law in our health and safety code. Uh, the Code Enforcement Incentive Program, but it's not been funded. So it's really just kind of words on paper right now. That will be important and critical. California, fortunately, has a surplus last time I checked. So we're going to be looking to uh, shake a few dollars free for that uh, important program. Secondly, uh, I think earlier this year, we spoke about the DMV bill that closes a loophole in state law, whereby certain Code Enforcement officers can have their license plates masked. Certain ones can't. That's purely through a, uh, I think, just some kind of poor drafting, to be honest with you. I don't I don't know how long ago that was, but it's before my time. We're looking to close that again. Uh, that was held up in the Senate Appropriations Committee, of which Senator Portantino is the chair. We're hoping to have better luck on that next time. In addition, uh, we're looking to improve the administrative or non-criminal tools. The, the shift uh, in California in particular is to utilize administrative and civil tools to enforce laws. KCO and sorry, code enforcement, well, KCO too, but code enforcement is in a great place to do that because our tools are many and many of them are non-criminal in nature. So we fit within this kind of uh, narrative that's out there right now. In addition, I've been asking a lot of requests that we look to uh, change presumptive illness status to include code enforcement officers. And for those who don't know what that means, it means that if someone gets sick, uh, on the job, it's presumed by law that it was sick as they got sick as a function of doing their job. Otherwise, it's darn near impossible for a code officer who gets sick from inspecting places with asbestos or COVID or mold to prove that. How do you show that causation, that link? So presumptive illness status will be important. We also are trying to get code enforcement officers added to the list of first responders Dispatchers, rightfully so, were added a couple of years ago. Code enforcement should be as well, and that affords them certain additional protections. And then uh, public awareness. That's where I'll end. That's going to be the big one, Justin. And we'll be looking to CEOSF to help us with this. But as code enforcement officers throughout the country, this is not limited to just us in California. We've, we've always been a little bit off the radar. No one really knows what we do, fully appreciates what we do, or there's often misunderstandings. And I think that there's some folks out there who are anti-code enforcement, some folks who don't appreciate our role or government's role in protecting properties, especially if they're on the receiving end of enforcement. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of misinformation being put out there. I think that really is a big problem. And as the Supreme Court said a long time ago, the best remedy to misinformation or lies is shining a light on it by providing more information and the right information. So let me take this opportunity on your great program, Justin, to make an explicit call for action to code enforcement officers throughout our country, and KCO will help lead the way on this, that you use your social media 
to show the good you do. Put the before and the after pictures on there. Talk about what you do. I know we're all humble in this industry and that's why we get it. And that's why we're not looking for the spotlight. This isn't about that. This is about marketing what we do, making sure the public is aware of the good and critical role that code enforcement officers do, and also protecting our ability to do it by directly confronting misinformation out there. So don't be shy. I expect to see all of you on LinkedIn being active and the other social media platforms that you use. And it's time that we get out there and start talking about what we do, every single one of us. I'll totally agree. And I, th- I think that's a great approach is really focus on this profession, get the positive energy going. Uh, it helps with everything else. So those are great points. And I, I think that lineup you have of legislative uh, efforts is going to be great. Um, some great points there. And so I, I wish all the best for KCO moving those forward as we move into the next year. Uh, and again, commend KCO on everything they've done so far. So great efforts. And I just wanted to conclude to see if you had any final thoughts that you'd like to share for our listeners. I, the last one I would say, besides reiterating my call to action is, <laughs> and that's worth reiterating, is secondly, uh, thank you to CEOSF. This is a, uh, a necessary group, a necessary organization that you put together, uh, Justin, and one that filled a gap that existed for far too long. So while we're talking about officer safety and safety standards in California and hopefully nationally, uh, I think you guys are really a big leader in this. And I, I really thank you for filling that need. So thank you for having me, Justin, as always. And thank you for a wonderful, noble cause that uh, you and your group are spearheading. Well, I appreciate those comments. And uh, thank you, Matt, for this great discussion and for your support of our profession. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website for more information regarding our Code Official Safety Specialist Certification Program and so many other resources. We will catch you on the next episode of the Lifeline Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Lifeline Podcast. Be sure to visit codeofficersafety.org. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time.